Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you are joining me today. It is Monday, brand new week, brand new opportunity to worship the Lord. And, and this is the last Monday that I have an opportunity to invite you to come to our worship service on Easter Sunday. And you can come at the 7 a.m., 8.30, or if you want to come later to the 11 o'clock service, that'd be great. The 7 o'clock service is going to be outside. And then we also have at the 9.45 time frame, an Easter egg hunt. And so you want to go online and register for that. Now, if you don't get registered, we'll be glad to have you go through this. But we're going to do a little different type of Easter egg hunt. It's going to be called the Stations of the Cross. And bring your children, bring your grandchildren. You can go through it with them. And I know that you're going to have a whole lot of time. So join us on Easter Sunday, Hickory Ridge Community Church, 7, 8.30, and 11. Easter egg hunt at 9.45. Love to see you. Well, today, I want to look at Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at the whole chapter. It's going to take us a couple days to get through it on the broadcast. But I want to begin by asking you a question. What does God's mercy do to you? Now, notice I said to you, not for you. Uh, There was a guy that I was reading about. His name is Tom Terrence. No relationship to the Tom Terrence that's a member of my church, but he shares his testimony. And he was a former hate-filled Klansman, but he was saved by God's grace. He said, I came of age in the early 60s in Mobile, Alabama, which had been segregated since its founding. In 1963, reacting to a federally mandated desegregation of the public schools within Alabama, Governor George Wallace uttered his infamous plead. He said, segregation now segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Tom Terrence read this, and as a white supremacist reading anti-Semitic and anti-communist literature that was circulating around, he decided that he would start meeting with people and would start advocating these ideas. The civil rights movement, they said, was part of a communist plot, and the United States government had been infiltrated by communist agents. Well, all these warnings made him anxious about America's survival. All these fears were mounting, and these fears soon turned into hatred. And he perceived Americans' enemies, and he perceived them as communists. He conceived them as the African-American population. And so he decided to join the Ku Klux Klan, the most violent terrorist organization at the United States at that time. Well, one summer night, as they were going about planning and plotting their schemes, they put a bomb in the home of a Jewish businessman, and they were being ambushed in his police stakeout. His partner, unfortunately, was killed at the scene. Four blasts of a shotgun were fired at close range, critically wounding him. Doctors said that Tom Terrence would not probably survive, but miraculously, he did. God spared his life. To the astonishment of the doctors and perhaps the dismay of the police, he survived. At the end of a trial that he had to go through, he was convicted and sentenced to 30 years in the Mississippi State Pen. After about six months arriving in prison, he and two other inmates escaped. But a couple of days later, they were apprehended. 
after a blazing gun battle with the authorities, during which one of the other inmates was killed. Now, had this man not relieved him from standing watch for about a half an hour earlier that day, it would have been Tom Terrence that was killed. God had shown him mercy once again. Back in prison, he was confined to a six-foot-by-nine-foot cell in a maximum security unit. And now to keep from going crazy, he read continuously. This eventually led to the New Testament, specifically reading the Gospels. But he says, as I read the Gospels in my prison cell, my eyes were opened in a way that went beyond simply understanding the words on the page. My sins came to mind, one after another. Conviction grew, and with its tears of repentance began to flow. I needed God's forgiveness, and I knew it came only through trusting Jesus, who had given his life to pay for my sins. One night, I knelt on that concrete floor in my cell, and I prayed just a simple prayer, confessing my sins and asking Jesus to forgive me, take over my life, and do whatever he wanted to do with it. As I read the Bible daily, a whole new world opened up a world that I could never have imagined. He says, I couldn't get enough of this new world. God had delivered me from hate, and I began to grow in love for others. Friendships began to develop, even friendships with people that I had one time hated, and they hated me. After serving eight years in prison, an extraordinary turn of events resulted, in which a parole grant was given to me to attend a university. That set in motion a series of developments which, over the next 40 years, led me first into campus ministry, then pastoral ministry in a racially mixed church, and finally to a long ministry of teaching and writing at the C.S. Lewis Institute. Tom Terrence says, as I look back over the nearly 50 years since God saved me, I can only thank and praise him that he didn't give up on me and he didn't give me what I deserved. But because of his full grace, his full mercy, he gave me exactly what I needed. He was patient with me, not willing that I should perish, not willing that I should be separated from him. And so I came to him in repentance. That's what mercy did to Tom Terrence. In Romans chapter 12, it's a fascinating chapter. I would call this the chapter in which we as believers are experiencing our graduation. Maybe to help us understand this chapter, we need to do a quick summary of the book of Romans. You know, in section one of the book of Romans, I would say that would be from chapters one through four, the whole section is condemnation. It's guilty, 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 guilty. Romans 3.19 says, Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show them that the entire world is guilty before God. So, for four long chapters, Paul drives home the point that we are guilty because we break the law. We're guilty because God has given us his creation to prove that he exists. God has given us a conscience to prove that there is right and there is wrong. But we are guilty because we keep breaking the law. 
That's the purpose of the law. So we can't say that we have an excuse because God has given us his law. So that's chapters 1 through 4. Chapters 5 to 7 would be the second section of the book of Romans. And this is a section that covers justification. I think it's best summarized in the first verse of chapter 5, where Paul says, Therefore, since we have been made right with God, by faith, we have peace. Peace with God. All because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. You see, God looks at us, and he knows that we're still sinners, but he looks at us just as if we've never sinned. He looks at us as if we are justified, declared right in God's eyes, not because of our goodness, but because of what God and his Son has done for us. Jesus taking the wrath of God upon himself so that we could be at peace with him. I don't know about you, but this is a reason to really celebrate. Uh, We're getting ready to celebrate Easter, and what a joyous occasion that is. You know, Easter makes justification possible. So we've learned that the first part of the book of Romans talks about our guilt. The second part of Romans, chapters 5 through 7, talk about our justification. And then chapters 8 through 11 talks about our release, uh, the fact that we are no longer condemned. We have been exonerated. We have been set free. Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It begins by saying, there is no condemnation. Not as a qualifier. It doesn't say there is no condemnation for the world. It says that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. We are set free from condemnation. We've been released all because of Christ. Chapters 8. 9, 10, and 11 all talk about the fact that we have been set free. Then we enter the last section of the book of Romans. I guess you could call this last section, how do we live out this gift of salvation? How do we live out this wonderful process of being sanctified? And it begins verse number one of Romans chapter 12. So Romans 12 through 16 talk on the subject of sanctification. Paul says, and this is the New Living Translation, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God, all because of what he's done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. I like what the J.B. Phillips translation of that passage says, talking about God's mercy with eyes wide open to the mercy of God. In other words, God's mercy does something to us. You know what I think about mercy? It's found throughout all of Scripture. So many people wrongly think that the Old Testament, God was filled with wrath. But in the New Testament, He's filled with mercy. No, even the Old Testament, we see, as Moses declared, that God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. He will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. God is merciful. There's no doubt about it. So I want to look at three components of mercy found 
in Romans chapter 12. And as we look at this subject, it's going to take us a couple days to get through it. But let's look at the first point. God's mercy does something to me. Because of God's mercy, my sacrifice is holy. We're looking at verses 1 and 2. When I think about God's sacrifice, it is a mercy sacrifice. So we are in view of God's mercy to offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God. Verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Now, the presentation of my body will lead to the transformation of my mind. And I want to think about, for just a moment, the poet-philosopher David White. Now, I don't think he's a Christian. Uh, He doesn't seem to claim to be a Christian, and he doesn't seem to have his thoughts inspired from the Bible, but his insights on the theme of friendship makes it seem to me that he's somewhere along the line has been uh, exposed to some godly values and some biblical truths, because he emphasizes mercy and forgiveness in authentic relationships. This is what he says. Friendship not only helps us to see ourselves through another's eyes, it can be sustained over the years only with someone who has repeatedly forgiven us of our trespasses, as we must find in ourselves to forgive them in turn. Our friend knows our difficulties and shadows and remains in sight, a companion to our vulnerabilities. Real friendship is a blessing because it is rediscovered again and again through understanding, forgiveness, and mercy. You see, all friendships of any length are based on a continued mutual forgiveness. Without tolerance and mercy, all friendships will eventually die. You know, just being with someone and having truly known them is a blessing and a privilege. The importance of friendship is underestimated by most. And a diminishing circle of friends is the first terrible diagnosis of a life in deep trouble. We can say the same thing applies to our relationship with God. Paul says, I urge you, In view of God's mercy, you see, when we lose sight of God's mercy, we may still offer a sacrifice, but it's not based upon God's mercy to us. It can quickly become based upon our desire to be approved by God. It can be based upon our desire to show that we are offering a sacrifice to God. But Paul says, in view of God's mercy, Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Because of what God has done to me, because of his mercy, that's why I'm offering living sacrifices to him. As we look at living sacrifices, they are not only mercy-based, but they're God-pleasing. Paul reminds us that if, if we have this view of offering a sacrifice to God based upon his mercy, then the sacrifice that we offer is holy and pleasing to God. And this is our true and our proper worship. Don't you love that? Paul is reminding us here, if we truly want to worship God, then we're going to do it based upon 
his mercy to us. Then our sacrifice is holy and pleasing. But then he shares one other thing. He says that it's not only a sacrifice that is based on mercy, is is mercy-based, but it's God-pleasing. But there's a third point that we can see, and that it is mind-transforming. We're down to verse number two. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, we're not called to be conformists. We are not called to conform to this world. I was doing a little study about the life of Harriet Tubman. And the reason I I was kind of studying this is because I've noticed that her monument now is being displayed in different places throughout our country. And and I used to travel up the New Jersey Turnpike and still occasionally drive up to the New Jersey Turnpike. And there's a, uh, a rest area that is actually named after her. Well, Harriet Tubman was born into slavery in the 1820s. She was nearly killed by her master as he hurled a heavy metal object at her. She staged a daring escape in 1849, then spent years rescuing hundreds out of slavery and leading them to safety. Her code name, I love this, her code name was Moses because she never lost a single escapee. During the Civil War, she became a secret agent for the Union Army, working behind enemy lines to scout out the territory. Well, despite a bounty on her head, she always managed to evade capture. She was a devoted follower of Christ. She spent much time learning, memorizing, and meditating on various verses in the Bible, such as her favorite verse, Isaiah 16.3, which says, Hide the fugitives, do not betray the refugees. As she pondered the passages, she turned them into prayers. And in prayer, she learned to practice God's presence. She one time said, I pray all the time. She told her biographer about her work, and she says, I always talk to the Lord. When I would go down to the horse trough to wash my face or I would go wherever. I would always pray. And she would pray, Oh Lord, wash me. Make me clean. When I took up the towel to wipe off my face and my hands, she said I would cry, Oh Lord Jesus, for your sake, wipe away all of my sins. When she began to sweep and clean up, she would say, Oh Lord, whatever sin there is in my heart, sweep it out. Lord, clean it out, clear it out. She was a great woman of God, used at an important time in bringing hope for fugitives, hope for the refugees. You see, that's what God's grace and mercy does to us. It changes the way that we think. We are no longer conformed to the pattern of this world. We are transformed. By the renewing of our minds, our minds are becoming more like Christ. Well, that's the first thing that we see grace does 
to us. It changes us radically, and it changes us in the fact that we are offering sacrifices that are holy. There's a second thing that happens that is equally important as a holy sacrifice, and that is our service is based on humility. Look at verse number three. Paul says, For the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself in somber judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In other words, because God has been so merciful to me, I offer him holy sacrifices, but I also serve him with humility. As we look at the greater context of Romans chapter 12, we see Paul talks about spiritual gifts, and we see that God has given each and every one of us who are followers of Christ a very unique gift, a gift that he gives to every believer, at least one gift given to every believer. As we use these gifts, we must use them without thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. You know, I think there's a danger in using the gifts that God has given us and that we can use them and we can kind of project our gift as the most important gift. For example, if you're really good at leading people to Christ, you can think that you're a little better than everybody else because not everybody is gifted in evangelism. Oh, we all should be sharing our faith, but some people are uniquely gifted to share their faith. If your gift is being merciful to others, sometimes you can look down on others because they are not as merciful as you. Maybe they're harsher with people than you, and you're thinking you're a little better because you have a view of mercy that they don't have. They don't have that giftedness. Now, obviously, we're always to be merciful to others, but some people are uniquely gifted. If your gift is teaching, it's so easy to look down on others who don't share that gift. So Paul reminds us, it's because of God's grace that we receive these gifts. So don't think yourself more highly than you ought. You're part of the body of Christ. And I love the analogy of the body, right? Can you imagine if you're walking down the street and your foot gets in an argument with your hand and your hand says, I don't want to go with you anymore. The foot says, too bad, we're going this way. And you go back and forth arguing with each other. You'd say, that would be crazy. You'd be walking down the street and people would be looking at you and says, what's wrong with that guy? That right foot keeps arguing with that left arm. You'd say, that is insane. That person has lost his mind. You see, the body is designed to work in conjunction. Some people say that I can't talk without moving my hands. Uh, There may be some truth to that, right? My hands kind of move with my mouth. Maybe you have the same problem. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. That's just kind of how it is. David Livingston was a great missionary. This is what he said. He says, do not think me mad. It is not to make money that I believe a Christian should live. You see, the noblest thing a man can do is just humbly receive, and then go amongst others and give. You see, when I serve humbly, it's a mindset. And the mindset is that I'm no better than anybody else. I'm part of the body of Christ. If I'm a hand, that's just as important as the foot. That's just as important as the head. 
that's just as important as the heart that you can't see. You see, all these body parts work together. There's a second thing that Paul drives home, and we'll finish this up in the broadcast tomorrow, so join me tomorrow. But our our service is also humble in how we cooperate. He says, for just as each one has a body with many members, these members don't have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Well, unfortunately, my time is up. Please join me tomorrow as I explore deeper from Romans chapter 12, what God's mercy does to me. Thank you so much for joining me today. If I can pray for you, feel free to shoot me a text message at 252-267-2365. I am so glad that you joined me today. I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. Hope to see you at worship on Sunday. God bless you. Thank you for joining me in this broadcast. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And if I can have a specific prayer request for you, shoot that to me at 252-267-2365. I so appreciate you joining me today. Look forward to talking to you tomorrow. God bless you. Be safe on the highway as you're driving down the road today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.